What is it like to age well in the Garden State, where nearly a quarter of residents are over 60 years old? Are you one of them? Join New Jersey Advocates for Aging Well to discuss the ups and downs of aging in New Jersey. In this podcast series, we tap into our network of leading experts to provide a fresh look into the key issues affecting the state's older population and their families, including finances, housing, health, and security. Each half-hour episode details professional insight into how you can maximize the joy, minimize the challenges, and capitalize on the opportunities that aging in the Garden State offers. Aging with finesse. Doesn't that sound great? Stay tuned to hear the words of wit and wisdom of Dr. Mary Flett, who wrote about this and valuing ourselves as we age in her blogs, books, and website. Hello, and welcome to Aging Insights. I'm Dr. Kathy Rowe, Executive Director of New Jersey Advocates for Aging Well. We are joining you through the magic of Zoom today, not just for COVID safety, but because our guest, Dr. Mary Flett, is joining us from California. Welcome, Dr. Mary, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? Good. Good to have you. So, Dr. Mary, you have had a range of experiences in your career. Can you tell us about yourself and the path or the paths that brought you to where you are today? It has been circuitous, but oh my gosh, has it been fun. I have one of those liberal arts degrees from an undergraduate school that was just magnificent. Great. And after I graduated, I had absolutely no working skills whatsoever, but I had great (laughs) ideas. So I um, started doing what I had been doing actually for much of my life, which has been performing. And I started off at doing comedy and stand-up comedy. And I even ended up in my hometown studying at the Second City. Wow. So what prompted you to do stand-up? And how did you implement what you learned from doing comedy into your career? I decided to be a stand-up comic because I grew up with some of the finest laughing women in the business. Moms Mabley, Phyllis Diller, Joan Rivers. I idolize these women. But you know, having become an expert on aging, I look back now and I realize how much they put down growing old. Mm. It It really gives me pause now to look back and think of what we were making fun of in those days. But it's also given me a way of addressing some really painful realities, the reality that older people, older women in particular, become invisible in our culture. Mm-hmm. And we can either feel really bad about that, or we can find ways to look at it, laugh at it, and lighten up about it. Yeah. Well, we were talking earlier about Betty White and... Um, she aged with finesse um, and was quite an example and really um, got better. Her career soared as she aged. So um, what, what, can you, what are your feelings on her and, and how she changed that? Boy, didn't she make the world a better place to be in? Did. I, I've, just, I've been binge watching Golden Girls during this pandemic just to get me through it. It's been some of the best medicine I know. I tell you what was unique about Betty White, and I share something with her. I I actually grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Oak Park and River Forest, and she was originally from Oak Park, Illinois. So Mm -hmm. I feel a particular affinity with her. She left 
way before I did, but nonetheless, I feel a connection. Finesse, that is the absolute definition of that woman's mm -hmm. life. She approached it with an attitude of embracing change. Uh, talk about an improvisational actress. Her early career right. was spent doing kind of what we're doing right now in front of live TV, just chatting and filling the time. Yeah. But one of the great skills you learn in doing something like that is how to roll with the punches. And oh my gosh, she certainly did that up to the very last moment. And I read, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I want it to be true, that <laughs> her last words were of her husband lying in her, I'm imagining in her, in her bed, seeing him, and she just so adored him. And to have that acceptance, knowledge, and embrace of making the transition and finding someone you love waiting for you, I, it just brings tears to my eyes. It's wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, she aged with finesse, and, and that is the, the core of a lot of your writing. So what does aging with finesse mean to you? You know, there are so many ways that we language growing old. Mm -hmm. Back when I was doing my dissertation, I, the big term back in the late 90s was successful aging. And I mm. sat with that for a long time because, I mean, if you're not successful at aging, what does that mean? Right. And I didn't like the implications of that, nor do I like the implications of being called senior. I, I do a lot of writing around what it means to grow old in the United States. And the words we have for that, again, it kind of goes back to these early models of stand-up comedy. They aren't kind. Mm -hmm. So... When I was putting together my books, I really wanted to use a word that captured the elegance of aging, okay. along with the strength and the resilience in aging. And honestly, the image that came to mind was of Cecily Tyson, incredibly present and wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of person that I imagined aging with finesse. That's a great, great example. So as a psychologist working with older people, what did you hear from your patients? And what were the recurring concerns and the conversations that you had with them that you feel apply to a lot of people? I'll answer that by taking kind of a backdoor route to this. Okay. I first learned about older adults when I was in my early teens my grandfather, who I revered, mm -hmm. had broken his hip. And unfortunately, back in those days, there wasn't the PT, there wasn't the recovery that we have nowadays. Right. And he eventually ended up wheelchair bound. This meant that I got a chance to provide caregiving for him. Now, I didn't think anything about it because that's what families do. Right. And things have changed Mad, mad magic, well, not magically, they've, they've changed hugely over the years. Mm -hmm. yes. I made a very specific decision to work with aging adults in my career because I found them to be so adept at making changes. The resistance oh. wasn't there that I had seen in younger people. Okay. Most of my patients came to me with 
not issues specifically related to mental health, mm-hmm. but issues related to how to cope with a changing society, a changing lifestyle, a changing body, and not so many resources. So that gave me a chance to not just diagnose and pathologize. It gave me a chance to listen and tap into everybody's lifetime wealth of experience. Give it a different, this is the metaphor I would often use with my patients, give it a kaleidoscope shift. So Mm -hmm. look at all of the patterns in their life and just change them ever so slightly so that they could look at them in a new way and tap into new ways of doing things. It was deeply, deeply satisfying. I think I got as much out of it as my patients got out of working with me, frankly. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it with the kaleidoscope comparison um, and, and shifting ways. It's not, um, it's not a one-way trajectory on a set path. There are a lot of different ways to look at this and to view it. I found giving, again, going back to this language idea, I found giving new words to old ways of thinking. I found challenging beliefs, sometimes the beliefs that had been given to them unquestioned, early childhood messages. This was early childhood stuff. Things like, you'll never grow up to be much, or Mm -hmm. you don't need to worry about that. Your husband will take care of that for you. And the reality is, for many, especially older women, um, we found that they've had to acquire massive skills at a time when they may not have had the bandwidth. So depression, anxiety, I translated those terms into sadness, grief, and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And instead Mm -hmm. of it being a pathological issue, it became an issue of changing a relationship to an experience and increasing the ability to stay with that uncomfortable, distressful experience until you can get through that. And I'm, I'm assuming that from this type of experience is how you developed or, or you came up with the concept of the five pillars of aging. You so- know, I had, I've been blessed with being able to not just sit across from incredibly inspiring elders, but to talk to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And this came from my performing background. So for a couple of years, I was actually running around the country before COVID lecturing. And I did a whole series of things on how to age in the United States. One of the things that I had to come up with was an easy way of remembering what I considered the essential topics. And that's what the five pillars are. And I came up with a mnemonic. It's, it's renew your lease on life. So each of those letters stands for something. And if i You can indulge me. I'll tell you what they are. Oh, please. The first pillar is legacy. And this is creating not just a legacy of things. You know, we spend so much time in our culture about distributing stuff. Right, right. But the truth of the matter is the most important things that I inherited from my grandparents were their values, were their ethics, were their ways of being, the stories that they shared with me. So I call that a legacy of values. And I think it's really important to validate that we have values, we have things of value, thoughts, beliefs, ideas to share with others. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges in the 21st century has been this division, our our inability, our segmentation of elders from the community instead of integrating it in the community as it once used to be. So legacy of values is the first one. Okay, and of values, not of stuff. 
Right. Yeah. I wish we could come up with a will for values. You know, I bequeath you the value of, of compassion and tolerance and understanding. Gosh, wouldn't that be a great will to get? We, we can come back and do another episode on that next year. So keep that in mind. <laughs> so the second pillar is staying engaged. And, you know, this one, boy, there's just so much information on this all over the place now. I think the challenge with staying engaged, especially in the pandemic, boy, have we learned mm. lessons around that, is that it's not all about necessarily being in person with one another, although that is incredibly invaluable, but finding ways to keep our brain working, our heart working, and our body working. So, again, I think the pandemic has been a, a harsh taskmistress, but it's also created so many opportunities and so much learning around how we can stay engaged as we age. Okay. The third pillar is a pillar of adaptation and accommodation. So fancy phrases. What I learned from my patients and what I'm learning now in my own life is I have to be able to adapt as things change. It right. seems so obvious, but before the pandemic, I thought I could do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. And if anything has come out, now that we've all become bioethicists and understand viral transmission right. and have become <laughs> virologists, amazing how we've adapted. Mask styles, where we go, where we don't go. It just reinforced my belief that adaptation and acknowledging that is so key to, here I go using the word successful, to aging with finesse. Yeah. Um, the accommodation, and this is exciting because I know that your group is working around housing. Accommodation is helping people to stay in their own homes, assuming, of course, they are privileged enough to have homes. We have to address right. the lack of housing issue. But for those people who are able to stay in their homes, how can we make the house elder friendly and elder safe? And here, we, there is just so much. I, I'm a real nerdy techno person. I just love all the fun stuff that's coming out. It is available now to make people have access, not just to each other, but have mm -hmm. access to resources that will keep them safe and keep them healthy. And that's wonderful. The fourth pillar is the spiritual pillar. This is finding purpose and meaning. Um, you know, spirituality is a topic that is fraught with opinions and beliefs. And I'm strongly of the belief that finding purpose and meaning comes not just from doing, but from experiencing, from being. Mm -hmm. And meaning comes from life, from sharing those experiences. I have no idea what's going to happen when I die. But I know that I care enough about who I am and who, how I am with others, to want to make sure that I live a kind of life that is honest, that is um, compassionate. Now, those are the values that come from the legacy of values, but I have a belief that those things will carry me through to whatever is going to happen next. Okay. So, purpose and meaning, and especially inviting people to have conversations about this, this now elongated period of life between when we retire and when we die. 
And then the very, you've been so kind to listen to all of this. I just love talking about this. The fifth pillar is one that, that is particularly mine in mm-hmm. dealing with things. But as I have explored it, I have found that others share this with me. It's being enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I call it emotional economics. You know, um, we spend so much time, you see the ads on TV about, do you have enough in your retirement fund and you set aside enough for this? Right. And truth of the matter is, I want to know that I am enough, that I have some value. What are my assets? What is my self-worth? And then I also want to know what is enough for me? What, what do I need to have? You know, for pe- some people, just having, having uh, good music every day and somebody come in and give them food um, mm-hmm. and maybe a kind word is sufficient. For other people, they may need so much more. But what right. is that definition of enough for yourself? Then one of the things that I found to be very true with a number of my patients, and I've experienced this myself, is do I believe there is enough? Mm-hmm. So, so many people, especially women I know, are afraid that they're going to end up bag ladies on the street. And yeah. I can look at statistics. I can look at really some very frightening realities about uh, financial wealth and what is available for aging adults. And it can just scare the living daylights out of me. Mm-hmm. That is also something that I need to come to terms with and really work with in, our, in my local community to ensure that my community cares enough about me right. to, to ensure that I have the resources that I'm going to need. So I am enough. I have enough. I believe enough. I believe there is enough. And the last one is coming to my own definition of what is good enough. Mm-hmm. Now, what this really means to me, and I've seen this happen over and over and over again in the pandemic, is before the pandemic, boy, I used to have to go out and go shopping and I had to have certain things in my house. Right. What I found that was good enough is that I, I actually need a lot to consume a lot less. And what I need more of is connection mm-hmm. and, and people just paying attention and finding ways to create a different kind of a community. It's not just a community of being together. It's a community of shared ideas and shared goals and shared dreams. So thank you. Those are my five pillars. No, that, that is great. And, and I love the way you, you have the the, the four E's and enough. Um, I am enough. I have enough. There is enough. And what is good enough? And I think that's really important to um, to reframe our, our views on what we have and what we need. Um, and especially for, I think the pandemic taught us a lot about that. You know, do we have enough toilet paper? I'm still working through that toilet paper bin shopping I did early in the pandemic. But what really came down to what was important was like you said, the connections. And I, I think that's what a lot of people have either done well by connecting in new ways like online or have struggled with not being able to connect the way they used to be. So um, I think those, the four E's are a really great way to frame that. Um, but you also have talked about, you feel that a lot of people have a plan A, which is I will age in place and I'm die in my own bed in this, you know, this is my plan. 
And so few people have a plan B. Why do you think that is? And, and why is it important for people to have plan B? It's been my experience, Kathy, that there, there's three types of people. There are the planners that have everything lined up, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, and mm -hmm. they've done their taxes five years in advance. And after they die, <laughs> there's no problem whatsoever. And then I am not one of those people. Nor I. Okay. Um, <laughs> now that's not that's a small group. It's not that's not one third, one third, one third by any means. It's a very small group of people like that. Then there are the deniers. And this was my mother, bless her. Um, my mother just never planned for anything. She just figured the world was going to take care of her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in truth, most of her life, that's exactly what happened. Okay. She was fortunate to have me as a daughter because I was the one who made that happen for her. Okay. She was kind of a denier around that. And then there's this, this middle group where I think most of us reside, which is, I know I should do something about this, but mm, not today. Mine, okay. Yeah, some a day. Um, I'll, I'll, and plan B has become something because we are living longer, mm -hmm. we get to put off longer. Okay. I don't know. I, this is not news to anybody who is listening. It's certainly not news to you or I. We're going to die. But not today. Right, right. But maybe we are. And I call them the tedious details of death. Uh, there are things that cause distress in those we leave behind. Mm -hmm. And with a little consideration and a little bit of work, we can take care of ahead of time. Right, right. But more importantly, we need to have conversations about true. why it's important that we pay attention to what we pay attention to. I, they're kind, I talk about dark legacies as well as positive legacies in our life. And I've seen many, many people carrying the dark legacies of shame, uh, death by suicide in a family, struggling with trauma, struggling with um, alcoholism, addiction, those legacies, we have an opportunity to set aside and, and not have to carry forward. Mm. But we have to have conversations about that. And we don't often know how. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is one of these essential skills that I talk about in, in one of my books, that talking about the sadness, the shame, the, I, I'll just give an example of my own family. I had a, an uncle who was gay, but this was back in the 1940s, and we just didn't talk about that. Okay. He, he ended up dying by suicide. Oh. And it was something that the family was so ashamed about that we, you know, it was hush, hush, talk, talk. And as a younger person, I grew up with knowing that there was something going on, but not understanding why or what. And it wasn't until my grandfather was on his deathbed that he shared with me what really happened. And it was eye-opening because wow. it didn't have to be something that we were ashamed about. Of course, mm -hmm. by that time, culture had changed a little bit and we were more open to that, uh, to being to, you know, a gay lifestyle. We certainly... Um, that had to happen outside of the family. 
But it was something that once we were able to set it aside, we could just love each other more because mm-hmm. it wasn't a shame-based issue. So I, there are any number of dark legacies that need to be addressed. And there are opportunities now that we're living longer. So right. I, I think one of my, I notice we're coming to sort of end here, but one of my dreams for people is that we're able to sort of reintegrate ourselves. And, and this is something that that is really wonderful uh, in terms of what an elder-friendly community could be. Okay. So the World Health Organization has a, a wonderful eight-item. Uh, right, the eight domains. Eight domains of that. I've added a couple to them. And, I see that. <laughs> one of them is, is about really bringing conversations about spirituality into and, and connecting a community together across age groups. So this intergenerational conversation, the sharing of wisdom, this passing on of knowledge, which has been done in a number of different cultures around the world. But for some reason in our culture, we like to just segment or segregate our Mm -hmm. older adults. I believe that my job as an elder in a community to make my community more elder friendly is to ensure that I find a place and make a place for myself to share my wisdom and to leave something better behind. That's my legacy. I do that because I have an ability to talk to to people. Other people may do it just by talking to their grandchildren or talking to their children or for, for solo agers out there, finding people who they can share their information with or finding groups they can share their information right. with. And I have to tell you, there are so many wonderful opportunities for that happening across the country. Now, I am just so pleased. Like StoryCorps is one very famous one that's mm-hmm. being done um, at the Library of Congress where people come together and just share their stories. It's just, it's just so wonderful. No, and it's important to share. (laughs) No, it's important to share. And I think, um, you know, volunteerism is part of the eight domains. And it's not just people volunteering to help older people. It's about older people who, because of retirement, because of um, where they live, now have the time to share that they didn't have before when they were working or raising children. So it goes both ways. It's not just about older people being on the receiving end. It's about being on the giving end and all that they have to offer as well. So I, I, I agree with that. And I think that's something really important to, to consider. Well, Dr. Mary, I want to thank you for joining us today. And would you do us the honor of closing our chat with a guided meditation for our viewers? I would be delighted to do this. Thank you. What I invite all of your viewers to do is just get comfortable wherever they are. If you want to open your eyes, keep them open, that's fine. If you want to close your eyes and just listen to my voice, that's also absolutely perfectly fine. First, just take an easy, restful breath. And if you can, breathe in all the way down to your stomach. doesn't matter if you breathe in through your nose or your mouth. Just take a nice, easy breath in. And as you breathe in, feel yourself sitting in your chair or lying wherever you're lying. Just feel your body. Be present with your body. Take another breath.
Let's do one more breath. I'm noticing just a great sense of warmth around my heart and, and feeling grateful for having had such an engaging conversation. Being able to connect this way is different from how we used to connect. But it's something we've learned how to do. Just take a moment and reflect on all the things that you've learned these last few years. Things that maybe you knew before, but had to think about and do in a different way. And on your next breath, just express appreciation for all the amazing changes you've made. And acknowledge your resilience and strength. Now on your next breath, think about what's lying ahead. We don't really know what's going to happen. We could accept the invitation to be afraid, to be anxious. We could accept the invitation to just bury our heads in the sand and give up. But I invite you to think of the future as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to pay attention, an opportunity to listen, and an opportunity to be compassionate. Now finally, once again, take another breath and just become fully present to what's going on right now where you are. Feel your feet. Maybe notice where there's some tension in your body. Allow yourself to just let go as you exhale. And as you let go, create space for something wonderful to come into your life. Good. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching this episode of Aging Insights. To find out more information and to view previous episodes, please visit our website at www.njaaw.org and click on Aging Insights. Aging Insights is brought to you with the support of the Wallerstein Foundation for Geriatric Life Improvement, our funders, supporters, and viewers like you. I want to thank our partners here at PCTV for helping us bring our guests to you today. If you need information or resources about services in your area, please contact your County Office on Aging, 
The number can be found on our website, or you can dial the state hotline at 877-222-3737. 